Thank you very much indeed. Uh, one of the key things that uh, the Protestant Reformation taught us was the importance of having the Bible read publicly in church. And uh, this is a high point of any particular gathering of God's people when we have the wonderful privilege of having the Bible read. In a sense, the preaching is less important because actually the preaching is taking the Bible and, and expounding it. It's highly important. But the, but the actual fact that we as Christians can listen to the word of God together is hugely important. So thank you for those who read and uh, thank you for the way in which it is read. And thank God that he has given us the Bible and thank God for the Protestant reformers uh, who, as I hope you know, uh, insisted that the Bible is the possession of every Christian, not just the elite spiritual class. Hugely important. So let's pray and thank God. Dear God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you that it has come to us in our own language. We thank you for those who brought it. We thank you for William Tyndale who died uh, so that we may have the Bible in English. Uh, and we thank you, Heavenly Father, that each Sunday we're able to read the Bible together in church and then during the week read it ourselves. We pray now that as we turn to this section of your word, your spirit who wrote the Bible, will minister to our hearts so that we may understand the Bible. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, our studies this weekend are on eschatology, a Greek word which means the last things, uh, how, how the last things will pan out. And we've taken the classical route to this. We're talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus, which will be in church tomorrow for those who are where I am in church, the coming of the second coming of the Lord Jesus, uh, but we're talking about the events in a sense after that, the resurrection from the dead, which is what we talked about. And when I say we, I mean I, talked about just recently, uh, but also then uh, uh, the judgment, the resurrection, the judgment, and then finally this afternoon, heaven. So uh, I'll be very sorry if you can't be here for the talk this afternoon because all you're going to hear about is hell. Uh, but uh, So it'd be very good if you were here this afternoon, uh, if possible. Uh, actually, we're going to speak more about uh, more than just about hell. But uh, the uh, the emphasis this afternoon is on the great question of what are we going to spend eternity doing? What will it like to be in heaven? Um, and the answer is I don't know. But um, <laughs> the Bible does give us some indication, and that's where we'll go then. Well, before we get to that, though, this uh, in a sense fairly grim passage from God's Word, but it tells us the truth. We need to hear the truth. Uh, Romans 2 verses 1 to 16 and I'll refer to other passages as well uh, because Romans 2 1 to 16 uh, our answering response to it is bound to be yes there's going to be justice and no I think I'm going to be on the wrong side of that justice yes I believe in justice but oh boy I'm going to be one that's caught speeding uh, judgment is not something absent from our world. Even though people, if you asked, had a, had a sort of a, a survey done of Australians, my guess is that those who believe in the day of judgment would be fairly few indeed, uh, even amongst Christians. I think most Christians, many, many Christians these days, really believe that everybody's going to be saved, that there will be no such thing as a day of judgment. God is a God of love, so therefore, how could he possibly condemn anyone? And you get this funny phrase, which I, I just think is peculiar, you know, unconditional love. 
Well, it's not a very helpful phrase, is it? Give unconditional love. It leaves out things, little things like repentance and things like that. And it can leave in parenting to pretty bad parenting, if you think about it. Unconditional love. Oh, you stole some lollies from the shop. I still love you. And so forth and so on. Well, you do, but yes, anyway, we won't go there. Um, okay, so uh, God is a God of love, but there is a day of judgment. Good news, huh? That's really good news. Yes, I believe that there should be a day of judgment um, for everyone, with one exception. Me. Uh, I don't want to be there. Can we just pass straight through resurrection to heaven without a day of judgment? Well, not really so. Now, it's very funny that the secularists, the secularist mindset, uh, we don't believe in judgment, uh, and yet they do believe in judgment, for people are constantly judging constantly judging one another. I said last night, you know, the coffee, the coffee shop is a, just a cauldron of judgment uh, as people judge each other. And also we judge ourselves. It's interesting that uh, in, in this uh, fits into the last session about the, the body, for example. Uh, one of the most important things that people are worried about these days is their body. Uh, Michelle touched on this as she was talking too. What sort of body do I have? Uh, we are abnormally sensitive about how we look and about how other people look. Uh, we're often deeply dissatisfied and self-conscious about the body we have. Uh, and we think to ourselves, this body that I have here that I struggle with is not the real me. And uh, ageing often embarrasses and alarms us. Uh, and we are aware that people judge us. Not just by what we do, but how we look. And this feeds into what is called by observers into Australian society and Western society, uh, it feeds into what's called an identity crisis. Uh, that many people coming through the secular system now uh, have no real answer to the question of who am I? Who am I? All I know is that I am my body, but I'm not so keen on my body. And the question, particularly in the under-30s, I think is an increasingly difficult question to answer, well, who am I? And then that shows that the desperate attempt to answer that question shows itself in behaviours. Has anyone else noticed this? I mean, is, is, am I just talking nonsense here? Uh, or is, uh, others people also notice this question of identity, body, and so forth? Any, any, uh, any comments on this from anyone? Um, I'm happy to hear and uh, the wisdom of the group at this point. Anyone, anyone got any thoughts on this? On identity and uh, body? Anyone noticed anything in this area? Uh, uh, sorry, wait a minute, who's speaking? I can't see. Oh, I beg your pardon, sorry. It's, uh, Nikki, uh, speak up so people in the back can hear. A lot of money is spent on us. Yes. So... The, the money we spend is an indication of how seriously we take our personal appearance. Yeah. Uh, oh, you mean in advertising and this sort of... Ah, yes, the, <laughs> the advertisers are not wasting their time by the advertising they do, are they? They are appealing. They're geniuses at getting behind our defences and telling us. So, yes, the advertising world shows that. Thank you, Nick. Uh, other comments? Speak up. Is that so? Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if you heard of the back, but even children uh, have, uh, you know, uh, modern children are very much aware of body image and their appearance and so forth and so on. 
never worried me. First of all, I was, uh, I was uh, short-sighted, so I couldn't see myself. And second, I knew there was no point in worrying about my appearance. Uh, but that's very interesting. Yes, ma'am. Speak up. Yeah, you can sit in Martin Place in Sydney, which is a wonderful spot to uh, go and look at beautiful people, and you'd only see one in every 50 persons who really match the pictures that we have. <laughs> the rest of us don't look like that, really. But anyhow, uh, we look far more interesting, in my opinion. But yeah, yeah, quite so. So there's the image, but I'm not like that. So I... Okay, I try to be like that, but what's that do for our insides? What's it doing for our our psychology? Any thoughts on that? Depression. Anxiety, depression. Depression is one of those things that is, is endemic, uh, I believe. And uh, yeah, yeah. A young man said to me in church the other, uh, last Sunday night, um, he, he was in his 20s, and he said to me, Peter, it's so easy, it's much easier to be a girl these days than a chap. I said, what on earth are you talking about? He said, well, the girls have friends. He said, we find it very difficult to have friends. And... Uh, no, he's speaking for himself. He said that is why we're on social media the whole time, creating artificial friendships, but not real friendships. I, I was astounded by this because I have seven or eight friends that I made when I was about five years old, and uh, we've been friends all our lives. Uh, playing rugby together sort of bonds you. Uh, I know that's uh, the wrong word, the wrong word here, I know that, but there's something about being in the front row of a rugby scrum which is unlike anything else, and you learn things there that you never learn anywhere else. Bruce, am I right? I'm not playing rugby. You've never played rugby? Oh, dear, well, you've never learned what I've learned. <laughs> so you agree with me? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, yes, the back there. Particularly in the under 30 or... Thank you so much. That's really interesting. There's a, there's, a, there's a bit of an inconsistency there too, isn't there? In the sense that uh, you go to the gym, you do all, you diet, you make yourself look good, and then come the weekend and you just absolutely drink and you go mad at the weekend. But it's all driven by the same inner need. If I, how would you finish this sentence? It's driven by an inner need... Excuse me a moment. I didn't ask you. This is uh, really. When were you in primary school last? <laughs> okay, sorry. It, it's driven by an. Excuse me, I've just joked. Is it in a need to be. An inner need to be accepted, but hard to find in a world of judgment. Okay, uh, now, who said what down here? What was, that? What was your point? Exactly that. By your peers. To be accepted by your peers. A drive, certainly a powerful drive, and someone at the back was going to say just, yes. Okay, now, we have no time, but I'm going to ask you to repeat all that. I heard it, I heard it, everyone heard it, but I want everyone to take it on board, because remember... I think the under-30s are going to be living in a world a little bit different, certainly from... The, I'm not even a baby boomer, believe me. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a different world. Now, can you just say... Same words, say it again, tell us we're listening. No, no, that's good, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. 
Is being a Christian helpful? That was quick. Uh, just briefly, why? Okay, now you guys have actually paid for Christine and me to come here and uh, paid the airfare and all that sort of thing to come here. Why did you bother? Uh, isn't that... Thank you, ladies. Thank you, others who have spoken. Mainly women spoke, I think, sisters. Uh, isn't that interesting? Who am I? It's more difficult to find out that question today than it ever has been. Who am I? And if you can't answer that question, then it leads to a life of misery and despair. You see, one of the things is, too, that we discover who we are primarily immediately through our parents. But we live in a world in which marriage is now regarded as... I mean, it's, it's a laugh. You actually have a marriage marriage between two chaps. I mean, that's not marriage, but we've invented it. That, the mood is made of green cheese also, um, apparently. Uh, it's ridiculous. And so many marriages broke up. So who are you? Now, you may have suffered the pain of marriage breakup. We've had it in our family, but it... it it's, it relates to this question of who are we? We long for justice. We long for justice. We love, we want a fair universe. We want a fair universe. But it's not fair. It's not the universe that we long for. We're quick to judge others. We're quick to judge ourselves. We want justice. And strangely, when we judge others, we're using a standard. If you're sitting in the coffee shop having a good old judgment session, you'll find that you're both appealing to a standard of judgment. Oh, you know, you can't trust her. She never speaks the truth. Well, why should she? There's no rules in the world. You make up your own rules. There's no God. Why should she speak the truth? But somehow it makes sense that you can condemn a person for not speaking the truth, even though there's no rules. What? Perhaps there are rules after all, and perhaps behind the rules there is a just God. Now to this passage and what we're looking at here. Okay, the judge. Verse 1. Um, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever you point, you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. There is a God, and this God is a God of judgment based on truth. Scary. Um, from time to time, believe it or not, I know you can't believe this, but I have been criticised um, uh, as a public person. I've had several books written which try to punch me, etc., uh, etc., et and I sometimes think, yes, they don't know what they're talking about. Usually they don't. And I think, but God knows, and then I think, oh, hang on, he knows a lot more than they do. There's no book written attacking me which couldn't have been much worse if they knew what God knows. Oh, to which I then think, before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea. That's what I think. Now, God's judgment is absolutely righteous. That is clear all the way through the Bible. Righteous, the word righteous just means uh, straight, but it also means that you fix things up. So God's righteousness is dynamic. It contains the idea of absolute perfection, uh, truth, but it also contains the idea of 
repair, fixing what has been broken. God is righteous. Uh, when the whole human race rebelled against God, uh, he cast us out of Eden. When the whole human race rebelled against God, he sent a flood and brought retribution on the earth and only some escaped by his grace. God is a judge within history. Romans chapter 1 talks about God's wrath being revealed from heaven against all, verse 18, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Uh, and the wrath of God is experienced here and now uh, in the world in which we live. God's wrath is uh, contemporary with us. Uh, interesting, isn't it, that part of God's wrath is the bad behavior of human beings towards one another. It is how we behave which expresses the wrath of God in which he takes his uh, hand off and allows us to behave the way we would behave because we're sinful people, and it's awful. It's awful. I often think we Australians, we're so stupid, really, if I may say so. Well, I can because I'm an Aussie. Uh, we somehow believe we're superior. We believe we live in a superior... We look at the uh, other parts of the world and we see corruption endemic. Corruption kills more people than almost anything else in the world. And uh, we see it there and we think, oh, we're not like that. Yes, we are. Why do you think this is not a corrupt society generally compared to others? It's our Christian heritage. That's why. And when we get rid of the Bible and get rid of the Christian heritage we will be as corrupt as the most corrupt kingdom in Africa. Do you, think, do you think we're somehow superior people? No, we're not. Our nation is facing decay, despair, and the end. God judges within history, and he will, he will turn his face away from us because we have rebelled against him, and we can see his judgment already. But God is also the judge at the end of history, chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, the day of judgment, the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. He is a judge within history. He is a judge at the end of history. And his method of judgment is called retribution. Now, retribution sounds awful. It's an awful word. Uh, but and people talk about jails and, and so forth. And, and we talk about correction rather than retribution. But you see, there's no correction without actually a theory of retribution. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is the foundation of justice. It means that there's an eye for an eye, not two eyes for an eye. There is a fairness level. And God will adopt, he will judge by truth. And he knows the truth. He knows more truth about you than you know about you. And he will judge you according to his truth. Good news, huh? Well, do you want to live in a world without judgment? Do you want to live in a world where everyone gets away with everything? Do you want to live in a world where EDR men, if you can know who I'm talking about, the Ugandan dictator, can kill the archbishop and get away with it? Do you, want to, do you want to live in a world where people murder each other? Do you want to live in a world where people cheat, lie, defraud? Do you want to live in that sort of world and everyone's going to get away with it? Is that what you wanted? I don't. I want to live in a world where there's justice. Good news, there is. Why aren't you smiling? I know why you're not smiling. Okay, let's turn to the accused on the Day of Judgment. 
Uh, now, the Jews, of course, were rather pleased because they felt that they were not going to be the accused, that it was the Gentiles who were going to be the accused, the non-Jews. So they were quite happy about that. Uh, the Gentiles who had done so much damage to them and destroyed, etc., 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 the nasty Gentiles would get it and not them. And that is why the apostle says here, and he tricks them. He says, yes, yes, you, you're going to, uh, all these things other people do, yes, 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 you do it too, he says. Um, uh, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. First one again, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, he says. Have a look at uh, the end of chapter 1, verses, if you've got your Bible there, uh, chapter 1, verses 29, I'll read it. They are being, uh, he says about humanity, become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Sounds like Sydney. Oh, does it? Oh, Okay. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do it, they approve those who practice them. You listen to our public spokesman. You listen to the, you listen to the voices of people around you. You read the social media and you will see we're very quick to judge others. We're also quick to approve things which are evil. Conscious that we ourselves do such things. As the Bible sums it up very, very quickly, in Adam all die. In Adam all die. If you are in Adam and that's all that can be said about you, then the day of judgment is not for you. And even if God delays, even if you don't see judgment appearing at once, uh, it's only God delaying in order to, to that some may be saved. Uh, have a look at... Um, uh, verse 4, do you not, do not show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Why hasn't he judged the world immediately? There'd be some horrible things happen. 20th century is a long legacy of horror. Why didn't God finish it all? Well, only through mercy to lead the world to repentance. Human sin goes very deep. I was born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 51, 5. Jeremiah 17, 9. The, the human heart is wicked and evil beyond who can fix it. That's the verdict of the Bible. Not on some people, but on all people. Whatever else I know about you, I know you're a sinner. I know you have a wicked heart. I know that. Jesus said you were evil. If you, being evil, know that he assumed that you were evil, not wicked, you are evil. And you can fool yourself, you can fool other people, but you're not going to fool God because he looks at the heart and he knows the truth. Well, what's the evidence, God? What's the evidence? Chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. Again. Uh, because of your stubborn, unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against you uh, for, for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they've done and what they haven't done, by the way. For what we do uh, is also what we don't do. Uh, to those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. 
but to those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. There's a wonderful, I found a lovely verse in the Bible, I remember, when I first found it in Exodus, I think it's Exodus 23, where it says, uh, uh, speaking to judges, do not show partiality to the poor man in his suit. To the poor man, I thought, oh, don't show partiality to the rich man. No, it says don't show partiality to the poor man. In other words, justice has to be justice. And the mere fact that a person may be poor does not mean that they get the verdict. No, justice must be justice. And God says, also Exodus 23, I will never acquit the guilty. There we are. God says, Exodus 23, I think it's verse 6, I will never acquit the guilty. And you will be judged on what you have done. That's the evidence. Uh, Yes, if you are righteous, then you will receive your reward of glory, honor, and peace. Thank God. If you are unrighteous, then you will receive your reward. And uh, the reward there, we'll uh, come back to that in a moment, is hellish, frankly. Uh, Furthermore, it's not just your deeds, it's your motives. Uh, Look, for example, he says there, in uh, just in case you thought you might get away with it, uh, it's, it's the fact that you don't seek God from the heart that brings this upon you. Indeed, if you study the teaching of Jesus, it's not just your motives, it's your words. Every word that man utters will be judged. It's the thoughts of your heart, the words of your mouth, the deeds you do, and the deeds you don't do. The whole thing's covered. It's no good saying, oh, well, there won't be time to go through it. It's not a three-hour exam we're talking about. Or, you know, there's seven billion people. God, I'm going to hide in a corner and hope that he doesn't see. No, no, it's God you're dealing with here, not not human beings who might miss you in the rush. There'll be time. Your life can be revisited. Plenty of time. The whole thing, from start to finish. God's quite capable of doing that. And furthermore, being religious doesn't help. The Jews were highly religious and they had the right religion. They had the law. They had the right religion. They were highly religious, or some of them were at least. And they were under judgment. As uh, Paul says here, uh, verse 12, um, um, he says, um, All who sin apart from the law uh, will also perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Gentiles, Jews, all are facing the same damning verdict. Possession of the law does not help. Religion never helps much. It only makes people worse. And unfortunately, there's not only the, 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 the false religions of humanity, but there's also the false religions which we've made up around Christianity, where people have taken the Christian gospel, turned it on its head, turned it into a religion, and think that the practice of Christianity is somehow going to persuade the living God that they're good people when God knows better. The verdict? Well, uh, the verdict is pretty clear here. 
but uh, have a look at Romans 3, and we'll have um, an exposition there of God's verdict. Uh, he says, uh, Romans 3 verse 9, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, we Jews. For we've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. Under the power of sin. It says under sin in the text, but the meaning of it is you're you're the slave of sin. You've been grasped by sin. You can't break out of it. Jesus said it. He said, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. We have within us, we're like a, you know, the bowling ball, and we have the bias that takes us the wrong way, just as built into us. People talk about free will. Well, you do have free will. The trouble is that the, your will is also corrupt, and it's forever choosing the wrong thing. Uh, you're accountable for it, <laughs> but it won't help you to choose the right thing. There is none that's righteous, no, not one, verse 10. There's no one understands, there's no one who seeks God. And then the verdict down there at 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, and he says that is both Jews and Gentiles are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced. Can you imagine in the court of law, you know, you're, you're allowed to speak up and, and to tell the truth and so forth and defend yourself in a court of law. There, there'll be no point doing that on the day of judgment. For every mouth will be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. In a world in which accountability is regarded as silly because who, to whom am I accountable? What is it? Do your own thing, be your own person, etc., etc., etc. Live out your dream. The truth is that you are accountable. We're all accountable to the living God. And we are all hopeless and we are all without hope. And furthermore, there is nothing we can do. You know, there may be something we can do to reverse global warming. Uh, people are getting, trying to reverse this. If, if I'm not going into the science of it. I don't understand it. But just assuming it's true, people are all the time trying to think of if you are a better person and you throw out your rubbish correctly or you don't do this or you do this, you'll be helping to reverse global warming or to mitigate it. Well, on the day of judgment, there's nothing you can do. No mitigation. Um, well, I mean, there may you, you know, but I did this, Lord. Yes, so you did. That's very good. But did you realize? Uh, oh, God will be perfectly fair. He will take your good deeds into account. <laughs> yes, good luck. Okay. And conscience doesn't help us much. Conscience really condemns us. The consequences are, go back to chapter 2, heaven. You do well enough, you'll go to heaven. Chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. What a promise. And we'll explore that this afternoon. What a promise. Eternal life. Uh, there's, uh, there's, uh, at least, uh, thank God there's at least one human being who's succeeded here, by the way. Uh, he got through the test. His name is Jesus. Oh, <laughs> all right. Okay, but there was one. Uh, glory, honor, and immortality, certainly. But those who are self-seeking, reject the truth, follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger, trouble and distress. What he's talking about there is what we call hell. And uh, it's, 
metaphorically referred to, I think it's metaphor in the Bible, particularly Jesus refers to it more than anyone else, uh, as a place of fire. I think that's a metaphor. It's worse than that. Um, it's actually uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us uh, it's the utter frustration of living your own identity without God. You've chosen who you are without taking him into account. You will, God endorses your identity. The frustration that is felt by our people is going to be nothing compared to the frustration we will feel eternally. And it is eternal of not having a true human identity, of not knowing who I am, and of being unrelated to the very center of, of your life, God himself being totally cut off from that which makes you a human being, namely relationship with God and eternally bitter with yourself because you have chosen the wrong path. I think that's, I, that's the very beginning of a description of the horror of hell. And it won't be hell is not to correct people because they're past that. It's, not, it's eternal. It's not to keep other people safe. That you may do these things for jails. It's retributive. It is a retribution for what you have done, failed to do, what you've thought, said and spoken. Oh, I said there was one survivor, and that is Christ. And being in Christ is the one safe place. Not because you deserve it, but because he has deserved it for you. Because he has tasted the bitterness of hell, that you may be free. That forgiveness has been extraordinarily costly to God the Father, God the Son and Holy Spirit. Absolutely, unbelievably costly. So that in him, you may be in the safe place. There is judgment for Christians, I believe. There is judgment for us. We too will have to give account of ourselves, but it won't be an account of ourselves for, to determine heaven and hell. It will be an account of ourselves, of our stewardship, our faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that. Yes, there is a judgment, but it won't be a judgment for heaven and hell. For in Christ, you are in the one safe place you can be. Two Corinthians chapter five tells us, or two Corinthians chapter four says something absolutely unbelievable. Remember, remember in Exodus twenty three, God says, "I never acquit the guilty." That's a fixed principle with God. I never acquit the guilty. In two Corinthians chapter four, I think it's verse seven. I can't remember now. He is described as the God who has justified, that is acquitted, the ungodly. How can God be a God of justice, which we want, we really want justice, and yet acquit criminals? That's a judge who does that is not just. He's a crook himself. God said, I'll never do that. But then he did it. 
How can there be such a blatant contradiction in the Bible? Only one way. The cross is that which stands between those two great statements. And that is why Paul can begin chapter 5 by saying, Seeing then we are justified not by works, but by trust in our Saviour. Not by works, lest any person should boast. Seeing now that we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that is why, as at verse 5, he says, You have received the wonderful Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who fills your heart with love. Not that you have become loving, but the Holy Spirit persuades you against all the evidence that God loves you. Part of the nonsense that goes on in Christian circles these days and you know, desperate attempts being made by one means or another to, to, to make sure that God loves me is all because people don't understand the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to persuade you through the gospel that Christ died for you on the cross, that God loves you. And that before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Come with me. Whoever lives and Amen. This afternoon, we'll talk about the future for Christians. In the meantime, yes, we've talked about the horrors of hell. We must do. We've talked about God's justice, of course, because we want him to be just. We want this to be a just universe. We've talked about the way in which people are in hell already because they cannot find their identity. And that will be hell in eternity. But we've also talked about the God who said he'll never acquit the guilty and then does it because he loved you. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we thank you that you are a God of justice. We thank you for this because we long for justice. We want justice. We know how important justice is. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that in your righteous justice, the righteousness that goes around fixing things up, that you have fixed things through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf at great cost so that in him we may go three, free, unworthy as we are. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that every person here, every person here may recognize the ministry of the Holy Spirit in persuading them that God loves them. And why? How do we know that? Because Christ died for us on the cross. And I pray these things in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.